can you hear me? Yeah? Okay. Um, I had not thought that through in, uh, in light of the times, and so now I'm weirded out by my own poetry. <laughs> um, but thank you for that, that introduction. I, you took me back to the, the evening um, that I met you in Jean's apartment. Uh, or her, her visiting apartment. Can you hear me now? Yes, maybe. Thank you. <laughs> um, which was such a, it was so wonderful to be here um, with her and, um, and in a way that is one of the things that is so wonderful about um, BSC generally that I'm, I'm always finding myself here in such good company and in inspiring company. Um, and to prove it, I'm going to start by reading a poem that I wrote in collaboration with an artist that uh, I was here with, I think the same time, Allison Saar, um, who had been a, I had been a fan, fangirl of hers for a long time, um, and getting to meet her here was amazing. And, um, she had an exhibit called Breach um, at Lafayette College this past fall. And um, you can see her part of the work um, that, uh, that we did together, uh, at least, you know, sort of a, a little view of it. If you go online and just look up Breach, Allison Saar, Lafayette. Um, this is a poem, though, that uh, I made for what we did as a collaborative artist book. Uh, and the book and the poem are titled Mama, Mami Wata, or How to Know a Goddess When You See One. And Mami Wata is a, um, a deity, a uh, water-related deity um, who travels through um, Africa and African diaspora cultures um, in ways that we both find intriguing. So, Mami Wata, or How to Know a Goddess When You See One. One, a deity's history. If you show your tail, I'll spank it, the mamas would say to the daughters, meaning keep your behind behind you, meaning ass backwards is the wrong direction. Later, this threatened showing called up Negro chaps in Paris, uniformed, fighting World War II era stereotypes. Now, Tales speak of grown-ass women who catch the secrets of fish, whose bare blue breasts hint at the source of their power, stirring beneath the water. One of her um, guises, Mamiwata, is figured as a mermaid, so. and uh, that is part of what I drew on for the second section of the poem, which looks like this. So part two, Mommy Speaks. You make me with wood and the fear-sharpened knife's edge. You make me with paint and with awe. You carve me with snakes, spotted and diamond-backed. You wrap me in their tails or give me my own. You make me a ritual figure. I am the second story of your masks. You make me with fabric and fiber, with pigment, braid and thread. You make me with myth, 
fantasy and affection. You make me with dreads and dread. You shape me from copper, cut me from pattern tin. You make me with borrowed cultures, with local need. You make me your tormentor and deliverer. I am the demon goddess of your home's floral and perfumed altar. I am the irresistible thief who flashes and fills your eyes with my full breasts before I rob you blind. You make me powerful as tides with rushing rivers of hair. You flood me with mystery and desire, so no wonder I do what you have given me to do. And part three is called Migrant's Prayer. Is that you, mummy, wrapped in that soft white fleece, casting that cold, hard glance in all directions? Is that your spray swirling and stinging in the bitter wind, your blue bosom glittering with diamonds thick as ice flows? I recognize your excess in this, your muscle, but miss the wildness of your free, rushing mirror gray, green, golden, muddy into every crevice, trailing delta silt in cool, deadly fingers as long as your nom de guerre, Mississippi, over every surface, swallowing what you will, miss, fear, yearn to possess. So that is one thing that can come out of conversations <laughs> late at night uh, while you're here. Um, so I, I'm going to read, um, I think, entirely otherwise from uh, this forthcoming collection, Semi-Automatic. How are you all doing? Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Semi-Automatic, as the title might imply, um, is one of, one of the central concerns of it is violence, the violence that sort of characterizes our global society. Um, um, I want to say these days, and then there, there's the Trojan War, and so I know it kind of goes back a little ways. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about the different kinds of violence that we, that we live among. Um, one of the kinds of violence that I think is very much at the center of this book um, is the kind that has been um, responded to by Black Lives Matter. Um, but I'm also thinking about um, the kind of violence we do to the planet and um, things that we are going to suffer increasingly as a result in return. So um, I think with that said, oh well, the one other thing I need to say is that um, the title doesn't just refer to a weapon, although it does. It also refers to the kind of, um, I think, habits that we can get into in terms of um, the response to violence is outrage and grief and then outrage and then grief and then outrage and then grief. And there, there are these cycles that, that um, seem to just be endlessly perpetuating and I'm interested in how we break those cycles. So I'm going to share with you a couple of the epigraphs of the book and then I'm just going to read some poems. Um, the first one is by uh, 
poet and scholar named Fred Moten, and he writes, have you ever suffered from political despair? From despair about the organization of things? What does it mean to suffer from political despair when your identity is bound up with utopian political aspirations and desires? How is identity reconfigured in the absence or betrayal of those aspirations? What's the relation between political despair and mourning? And then the second one is from Sonia Sanchez. She writes, are we not more than hunger and music? Are we not more than harlequins and horns? Are we not more than color and drums? Are we not more than anger and dance? Give me courage so I can spread it over my face and mouth. Right. This is called That's a Rap, Sheet Music for Alphabet Street. And if you are a Prince fan, you will hear that. If I sing the blues, would that be new or new? Would booze follow blues? Would blood follow? Bud, flower, flow, sang cold-blooded, hot-blooded, male. If I sang frigid, would that be cool? Jazzy, jizz, buzz, the word. Do I have the right to write the body? The right body to remain silent? Habeas corpus, to have the remains dans mes mains, my main man, handyman, unhand me, uncuff me, so I can speak in my signifying language. Signs, wonders, miracles, temptations, three or four tops. Hip hops, micro brouhaha's, address them and drop the mic. Ain't nothing new, son, about being under the gun. Checked in the black box, never a dull minute. Oh, pen it, mighty muse, flighty music. Put the light letters together. Take it away. This is called Weather or Not. Time was on its side, it's upside down. It was a new era. Generation Why Not had voted its conscience, and a climate of indifference was generating male stromy weather. We acted as if the planet was a stone cold player, but turns out the earth had a heart and it was melting. Pacific Islanders first into the hotter water. Just a coincidence. The polar bears are white, and their real estate was being liquidated, too. Meanwhile, back in the temper-temper zone, the birds were back, and I hadn't slept. Had it been a night or a season? The bird song sounded cheap. My thoughts cheaper, penny, inky, dark. Language struck me as wooden, battered. The words became weeds, meaning I couldn't see any use for them. I had signed my name repeatedly without any signs of change. I was still bleeding from yesterday's sound bites, and the coming elections were breeding candid hates by the hand over fistful. There'd been an Arab spring, but it was winter all summer in America. The killing thing about this manuscript is that it was also finished before all of this craziness, and, and yet, um, it feels, um, for reasons, um, like it is talking to this moment. Um, so I, I am going to read some more poems that have to do with art or reference art because I, I heart the artists. Um, this is called Mirror and Canvas. 
Self-portrait with cats, with purple, with stacks of half-read books adorning my desk, with coffee, with mug, with yesterday's mug. Self-portrait with guilt, with fear, with thick-banded silver ring, painted toes, and no makeup on my face. Self-portrait with twins, with giggles, with sister at last, with epistrophe, with crepuscule, with Nellie, with my favorite things. Self-portrait with hard head, with soft light, with raised eyebrow. Self-portrait voodoo, self-portrait hijinks, self-portrait surprise. Self-portrait with patience, with political protest, with poetry, with papers to grade. Self-portrait as thaumaturgic glass. Self-portrait as Luna larva. Self-portrait as your mama. Self-portrait with self at 16. Self-portrait with shit kickers, with hip huggers, with crimson silk, with wild mushroom risotto, and a glass of Malbec. Self-portrait with partial disclosure. Self-portrait with half-truths. Self-portrait with demi-monde. Self-portrait with a night at the beach, with a view overlooking the lake, with canceled flight. Self-portrait with a real future, with a slight chance of sours, with glasses, with cream, with fries, with a way with words, with a propositional phrase. Um, so when I think about um, some of the current resistance um, that, that we see in society, I um, am sent back um, most immediately um, to one of the sort of the first big movements to get attention um, in the 21st century. And um, this poem was inspired when that movement was um, at its peak. Let's see, how to say this? Well, one thing I want to say is, if you are like me, I grew up in Tennessee, and um, in that part of the country, like this part of the country, um, there are so many place names um, that come from various uh, indigenous American languages, indigenous people's languages. Um, and that um, was something that, um, that also went into the, the making of this poem. Um, the poem is not critical of the movement, which I was very much in support of, but it is critical of the language that they chose to name themselves. So um, this is called Banking on Amnesia. Remember back to what, eight or nine years ago now, five or six years ago? How long ago was it? Seems like a lifetime. Banking on Amnesia. Manhattan was preoccupied with the price of beads. Chicago, Illinois was preoccupied with DuSable's black fur trade. Tennessee was preoccupied with, the f with following the market in lacrimal saline. It had been trailing since Jackson was in office. Massachusetts was preoccupied with the steep cost of religious pilgrimage. Tulsa, Oklahoma was preoccupied with one kind of black gold. It didn't place much stock in the other kind. Alaska was preoccupied first with the rush on fur, then with the mining industry. 
The Dakotas were preoccupied with wheat as a cash crop. They were railroaded into it. Minnesota was preoccupied with timber, which was grist for the mill. Texas was preoccupied with first one thing, then another. Its economy flagged until oil surfaced. Missouri was preoccupied with the Louisiana Purchase. Arizona was preoccupied with a bankrupt Christianizing mission. It went from broke to broker. Alabama was preoccupied with agriculture from the start. Other futures foreclosed until it acquired a coastline. Mississippi was preoccupied with blankets and bullets, incorporating them into its culture in exchange for mounds and mounds of land. Um, so how many of you are readers of Uncle Tom's Cabin? A few people? You've heard of it. You know the story generally. I mean, it's, it's a big, it's a big novel. And I think it's less taught than it used to be for reasons. Um, but it is such an important part of American history um, that it cannot be forgotten for that reason alone, right? So um, one of the characters in Uncle Tom's Cabin, I mean, un Uncle Tom, we, we all kind of um, know or think we know. Um, one of the other characters in Uncle Tom's Cabin was a young girl um, named Topsy. And... Um, Topsy was in many ways a foil to Little Eva. Little Eva was the, the blonde, ringleted angel child of uh, one of the, the good masters. And Topsy was enslaved to her family. Um, and um, I won't try to, like, you know, describe how she's um, depicted in the novel, um, but she's famous not only for how she shows up in the novel but for how her name has um, been grabbed up into a figure of speech that I think a lot of people use without knowing where it comes from. So this is called Studies in Antebellum Literature or Topsy-Turvy. 19th century novels paint quite the chromatic picture of America. Take the white whale, say, or the scarlet letter but they aren't all tarred with the same brush. For comic contrast, some give us black humor, national relief projected onto one dark little head, in turn projecting in all directions, a local color. Antebellum lit still tinges tongues with shady tints. Our language is loaded, packing heat a weapon concealed only, it seems, from the blissful. Who'd say? X used to be a small college town, but then, ten years ago, it just grew like Topsy. I'd say it grew like Kudzu, maybe, or like Wildflower. Wildfire, sorry. Not like Topsy. Note, things that just grew like Topsy. The Middle Passage death toll the black prison population, the crop of Negro spirituals, 
like crazy, like a weed, like a motherless child. In the novel, someone asked Topsy, as part of her learning her catechism, um, where do you come from? She said, I just grew. Thank you, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Um, and I have, to, I have to say, we're staying with Topsy. Um, the, the, section, the middle section of my book is called the, the Topsy Suite, and I just decided that I was really interested in this, this character, this figure, um, and wanted to take her for my own. Um, this next poem brings Harriet Beecher Stowe together with Lewis Carroll. Any Alice in Wonderland fans? Okay. You got to go back. If you haven't read Alice in Wonderland, you have to read that because unlike Uncle Tom's Cabin, it's actually wonderful, fun, interesting. Find a child and read it to them on any pretense. Um, so if you, know, if you know Alice in Wonderland, you will recognize Topsy's um, parallel adventures. From Topsy in Wonderland. What are you, said the captain of industry. This was not an encouraging opening for a conversation. Topsy replied gaily, I hardly know, sir, presently. I know who I was when I got up on my own continent this morning, but, looks around the Planta Station and the rest of the United States, I must have been changed several times since then. How am I going to get in, asked Topsy in a loud tone, presumably the only one she had. Are you to get in at all, said the gatekeeper. That's the first question, you know. It was, no doubt, only Topsy did not like to be told so. Yours wasn't a really good school, said the mocking person. I took the different branches of arithmetic, ambition, distraction, uglification, and derision. I never did hear of uglification, Topsy ventured to say. What that be? Never heard of uglifying, he exclaimed. You know what to beautify is, I suppose. Yeah, said Topsy doubtfully. It means to make something wider. Well then, the mocking person went on, if you don't know what to uglify is, you are a savage. Poor Alice and Topsy both have gone through some stuff. <laughs> One thing was certain. This is, this is a, a funny section, especially if you don't know the, the Alice in Wonderland. But anyway, here it goes. One thing was certain, that the white girl had had nothing to do with it. It was the black girl's fault entirely. For little Eva had been having her sins washed away for the last three or four hundred years. And having begun as an apple tart thief, thousands of years back, she was cleaning up pretty well, considering. So you see, she couldn't have had any hand in the contemporary mischief. I should experience freedom far better, said Topsy to herself, if I could get to the mountaintop. And here's a path that leads directly to it. At least, no, it doesn't do that after going a few yards along the path and turning several sharp corners. But I suppose it will get me free at last. 
But how curiously it twists. It's more like gerrymandering than meandering. Well, this turn goes to the mountaintop, I suppose. No, it doesn't. This goes directly back to the big house. Well, then I'll try another way. And so she did, wandering up and down, trying tactic after tactic, but always coming back to the big house, do what she would. Indeed, once when Topsy turned a corner rather more quickly than usual, she ran against it before she could stop herself. I'm not going back in. I know I should have to go back through the looking glass, back into the old box, and there'd be an end of all my efforts to escape. So, resolutely turning her back upon the big house, Topsy set out once more through the system, determined to keep right on till she got to the mountaintop. For a few years, all went on well, and she was just saying, I really shall do it this time, when the path gave a sudden twist and the system shook itself, and the next moment she found herself actually walking in through the big house door. Oh, fuck the bullshit, Topsy cried. I never saw such a house for getting in the way. Never. However, there was the mountaintop in full sight, so there was nothing to be done but start again. Lousy, I sure wish I was a player in this here game. I wouldn't mind being a pawn if only I could join. Of course, I'd sure enough like to be a queen. Her companion only smiled pleasantly and said, that's easily managed. You can be the white queen's pawn. If you like, you're in square one to begin with. When you get to the eighth square, you'll a queen bee. Just at this moment, they began to run. All Topsy remembers is they were running, hand in hand, so fast it was all she could do to keep up. And still the word was faster, faster, but she felt she could not go faster, though she had no breath left to say so. Suddenly, just as Topsy was getting quite exhausted, they stopped, and she found herself sitting on the ground, breathless and dizzy. Topsy looked around her in great surprise. Lord, I do believe we've been under this here foot the whole time. Everything's just as it was. Of course it is, said the queen. How would you have it? Well, back in my country, said Topsy, still panting a little, you generally get someplace else if you ran real fast for a long time like we've been doing. A slow sort of country, said the queen. Now here, you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. Is I addressing the missus? Topsy began. Well, yes, if you call that addressing, the mistress said. It isn't my notion of the thing at all. I've been addressing myself for the last two hours. It would have been all the better, it seemed to Topsy, if she had got someone else to dress her. She was so dreadfully untidy and crooked. Missus, you really seems to need a maid. I'm sure I'll take you with pleasure, the mistress said. 200 hours a week and freedom every other day. Topsy laughed nervously. I don't want you to take me. I want my freedom today. You can't have it just because you want it, the mistress said. The rule is freedom tomorrow and freedom yesterday, but never freedom today. Topsy objected. It got to come sometime to freedom now. So, all 
I'm going to read maybe two more short poems and let you all get back to the creating of art. Um, one, is, one is short and a little hard, and the last one is, is another one that um, brings art into, into view. And I thought I would end with that one. So this is called um, Supply and Demand. And it was partly inspired by some of the things that my father used to say to my sister and me when we were young and we thought every time he came in he should have at least some candy or something <laughs> for us. <laughs> so he had a, a stock, a stockpile of sayings um, to address that situation. And they've been repurposed. Supply and demand. The more black boys you have, the more you want. You act like we're swimming in black boys. You can't keep black boys in your pocket. If you had a million black boys, what would you do with them? Do you think we're made of black boys? Your black boys are all tied up in property. Black boys won't solve all your problems. You don't just find black boys lying in the street. It takes black boys to make black boys. Most people don't know how to save black boys. Black boys don't grow on trees. And because that is not a place to leave anybody. Um, this last poem is for all of you who've read the Iliad and the Odyssey, all of you who know the work of Romare Bearden, all of you who know the work of Nina Simone. Surely everyone is one of those people. <laughs> um, it's c this is called Circe, um, Odysseus, Black Odysseys, a remix collage. Um, and it's dedicated to Romare Bearden and Nina Simone. And um, it's made up of sort of um, sentences and fragments, some of which are in one of their voices, Circe, Odysseus, Bearden, and Simone. Sometimes it's two of them speaking together, three, sometimes even all four of them. And it doesn't, I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but you may or may not know who's speaking at any moment, um, but just let it wash over you. And, um, and if you don't know any of these, these works or figures, um, go totally look them up. There are going to be a lot of um, references to Bearden's uh, and Simone's titles. Um, and I guess the last thing I should tell you is this, um, one of the forms I work in is I call it song lyric acrostics. And, and that just means instead of spelling things out, there's a, a line of um, Nina Simone's uh, I put a spell on you uh, that starts the, the first word. It's the first word of every line uh, of the poem. Circe, Odysseus, Black Odysseys, a remix collage. I am black but sorceress. I mean trouble. Gonna put long, uneasy miles between me and my home. 
but it's not a one-way ticket. This here's Circe's domain. Come on in and set a spell. Hey, wanderer, the North's no escape, just another stop on some lonesome railroad line. Listen, rejection's telling you to improvise. Little girl blue, cotton blue, I do you this way cause I can. You bring your beast to my door, you're asking for trouble. Look, when I tell it, the odyssey is mine. If the gods spew at you their red-eyed fury, you might not ever find home. Harlem swings me a little better. Philadelphia loves me some, brother. Carolina won't stop me from shadowing my passion. Pierce me with your other spear, the one that won't leave me bleeding. You and me, we can pursue things under these wide blue skies that will surely make you forget about home. I got the sea chasing me. What can I do but keep moving? Barbados, Aia, St. Martin. I follow the blue-black keys where they lead. Bebop. Oh, you ain't seen the full power of my mojo, baby. Who's lying to who? Believe me, my wand doubles as a sword. I swear, my voice is honey and venom. Picture Ithaca. I assemble love from cut-up color, canvas, and glue. Daddy, if a year is all you got to give, give it here. Forever's a big blue illusion anyhow. See all the skulls? Marriage won't outlast freedom, and Liberia ain't the same as liberty. Tell me, how can I trust a woman with a snake for a bracelet? Well, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that sting. Why should I care about Penelope if you don't? If yellow, if red, if orange, if green, if blue, it's true. I'm dying to hear the siren song. You shape your future from your past. The geometry of don't can be transformed. Troubled women walking. I want to bring forth a people. An outrageous magic shakes me. Everybody knows about Mississippi. Many men destroyed. I'm blue, but I won't be blue always. Never forget, my pillow is yours. Red sun shining against a full moon. Night noon's a sign, right? X marks the spot. One last stab at some kind of home. Now go, get back out there and do what you were born to do.